you need to understand what why something doesn't work as much as it, why it does work. Its function comes first, going as far up the river as you possibly can to solve the real problem. Hello and welcome to the next episode of our show. I'm your host Felician and today with me is John Ferreira, an educator, creator of killer interactions and a product designer. Happy to have you here today, John. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with your career. What would you say were the most important points in it? Uh, most important points. Um, I, do, I have done a lot of random things. Basically, I've been a designer for like 12, 13 years. But I got my start um, as a graphic designer doing uh, basically products, um, product placement type of things. At one point, I was working for Russell Crowe uh, doing all kinds of random things uh, for his football team, the Rabbitohs in Sydney. And... Um, I guess the most important points that relate to products and software, uh, probably my times at uh, Fjord, which is a service design agency in London, and Samsung Design Europe, which is an R&D arm of Samsung, which works on kind of future products from uh, everything that they do, basically. So fridges, mobiles, these kind of things. Um, outside of that, I've been continuing my kind of design path um, into interaction design and working on my own startup. And at this moment in time, I'm actually working on my own um, masterclass in uh, user interface design. So to help others uh, learn how to become interface designers or professionals to become much better or bigger or creative, I guess, is the way to go about it. I know that you've started your own project that yeah, was related with media. Could you tell me more about that? Sure. Um, a few years back, I had my own startup called Media Sifter, which um, was basically a media literacy tool, making it easier to navigate the nature of a noisy, noisy media space and also having a way to actually fact check the content, which in this day and age is would have been nice to have, but uh, that uh, the company is uh, not in existence at this moment in time. Yeah. What happened? Didn't you get uh, the funding for it or didn't you want it? <laughs> well, I actually want to continue with it. But um, first I want to do is uh, try and have some success elsewhere and then come back to it. Um, basically, it was three years of trying and pivoting and doing different things. And uh, we had some close calls of success, meaning like funding. But uh, in the end, it didn't actually pan out. And eventually, you do get burned out when you put everything in. Um, all of your effort into something so you do need a break afterwards so i've had that now yeah. <laughs> sometimes it doesn't work at the first time but you try again try again and it, yeah it works at some point and yeah. with the, it was kind of yeah. like media accountability right um, so the, the general problem came out of a, a project out of CID, which is an education institute I was in. And the problem was um, felt that there were some untruths being told in the media and a lot of noise. The whole purpose of it was to make it easier to um, compare the differences of what's being said. So as an example, two media organizations might say completely different things about the same topic. So you, as the observer, go, okay, this is different, what is different, and then also what's being fact-checked between the two. So you can start to get a picture of, okay, this one seems more trustworthy than the other. Also, all media has opinion in it, so it's up for you to decide what you believe. And how did your skills as a designer play into that? So 
my kind of strong suits in user interface design, um, but it's developed into product design. So my strong suit was actually visually trying to take this complex information and making it very simple to navigate and understand. So I, I looked at the different ways through a user interface to make that simple and easy. Um, and as a combination of a timeline, um, can't really kind of show it to you now, but uh, it was a nice way of consuming content. On the product side, it was what's the real problem and how do you solve this? So in the case of Media Sifter, the real problem was uh, information is incredibly noisy. How do you um, how do you make that easy to pass? So navigate. Yeah, so there is also a lot of fake news. We can see that yeah every day. <laughs> it's not every month. It's every day, and it's not slowing down. It's even more. So yeah, the project yeah. could yeah. Yeah, we're, we're really basically important in today. Yeah, we're yeah. basically in the the period of um, absolute information overload, where we're absolutely bombarded by so many different opinions, perspectives, attention economics, which is uh, basically advertising. So people are producing content that is clickbaity, and then you have large institutions that are trying to vie for your attention and let's not say so much control what you think, but uh, influence what you think um, through the content that they produce. So it, it's, it's, uh, there's definitely a need for this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only agree on that. Yeah. Like, if you want yeah, trustworthy news, it's incredibly hard to get it. Like yesterday, there was this article with uh, Soros, you know, yep. uh, yeah, he was saying about not investing in China, although they invested what one billion dollars there or something like that. And you know, even here, you don't really know who to listen to, because on one side he's telling you not to do it, but on the other hand, they are doing it. Yeah, that's another part of it. It's like what people, what what are the actions of people versus what they say? So you can say anything, I think, uh, and probably get away with it. There's very little accountability for saying things. Uh, yeah, you can just literally say anything. Even if someone calls you up on it, the damage is already done in most cases when it comes to media organizations. So yeah, watch what people do. It's a good one. Definitely. Yeah. yeah like media has a lot of power. You are now in Poland and you know how the media is influencing people. <laughs> Yeah, so this is another example of, um, so for the context in Poland, basically um, the current ruling party is trying to take over the last television station because they really have control of one of the other major ones um, so they can completely control the narrative. So uh, younger people probably say that oh, it doesn't really matter because it's television and, and who watches that or older generations. It still has huge influence. So you just don't necessarily have had not so much a dissenting but a different opinion so very dangerous when uh, power controls absolutely everything. So yeah. luckily we have the internet though. <laughs> yeah. And it's still free, so. <laughs> yeah, that'd be amazing if they made us pay say, for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are the product in some cases. Yeah, this is the whole idea behind like um, Facebook and Twitter. I think I can't remember the, the exact value of each individual. So if you had to pay per month for your, say, Facebook subscription, um, you are worth, I can't remember the number. I'm going to basically butcher it, but it was very high, something like $130 per person. 
So I don't think anyone's going to be paying that subscription fee for the services of Facebook. You're probably going, okay, I want this to be much better than yeah. it is. Yeah, it's better to watch a few ads and sell your data. So, well, John, we'll see. I know that. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, you're very good on the UI part. So, what would you say are the two most important characteristics of good UI design? Uh, good characteristics of good UI design. Um, I, I would say that um, there's, there's two aspects. So user interface design for me um, in translation is uh, information communication. So it's how well you're communicating um, um, communicating something specifically through language, through iconography, through uh, general space. So the ability to uh, convey information simply is uh, one hell of the story. And then the other side of it, I think, is um, it's probably um, conveying in subtle, subtle interaction of uh, usability. So how do you make this um, obvious to people? So one is on the information communication side. The other one is how do you... How does a user know exactly where they are, what to look at, and what to do next? And how do you make that super easy regardless of the product or website? So they go, okay, this is what I think this does, and this is what I would like to do next within it without having to think too much about it. How can people make those things super easy? Um, or what would you say are the three steps for that? Well, super easy. Like, how do they say this? I think there's some good quotes, which I'm not going to remember. But um, say, to make something easy is incredibly difficult. Uh, so what that is, is a few different things. So stripping things away is one, I guess. So there's always a tendency to put a lot of stuff in, features, support, I don't know, just lots of different details. And they don't actually help a particular core user story or thing that needs to be achieved. So stripping things back is quite hard. So asking yourself the question, okay, what do I really need here? What doesn't need to be here? So it's the stripping back process, which kind of separates, I'd say, the junior from the senior when it comes to designers, knowing what that is to take away. And uh, even to ask that question to be kind of breaking down, um, breaking down uh, what that might be and looking, looking elsewhere outside of your own user interfaces to see, to get inspired by other places of what works and what doesn't work. And what would you say is the most ununderstood topic in UI design? Most un uh, um, I think th there's a few, um, but for me particularly, I think it's uh, it's color. So um, within the course that I'm creating, um, one of the things I've uh, dived into deeply, but then simply kind of shown and taught about is um, how to use color properly. Uh, there's a few obvious ones. So there's uh, the basic functional color of um, call to action or focus or primary, um, warning, error, um, these kind of things. And then there's branding colors. But outside of that, these are just like obvious things. The, the technical difficulty comes in selecting those colors and understanding how they work with each other. Um, and it's, it's kind of hard to explain. You have to... Um, you have to really balance these things with each other so that this is what brings focus. So I think color's the, the hardest of all of the subjects and the least, uh, least understood. But how can someone learn to balance those colors? 
Um, everything's obviously um, repetition and experimenting and trying again and again. So um, generally speaking, with whenever I design initially when I was much younger, it's iteration. So I might design a particular aspect 75 times. That means trying things out. Even now as a more experienced designer, I still do this, but less so because I've gone through so many iterations of different types of concepts that I know likely what is something to work. But even now, you still keep trying and experimenting with different things because this is how you find new and unique ways um, that work uh, outside of the defined kind of patterns that have, you know, basically been established when it comes to basic things like states. And uh, these are these are fairly well known these days. Like I think that it's incredibly important for a designer to, yeah be tenacious when it comes to experimenting because sometimes mm -hmm. you can build something it fails and yeah you can't stop you can still have to build it again and again and again and finally it can work it can yeah be the golden nugget that you're looking for <laughs> right yeah it's it, certain aspects this is the case so like like i was saying like the the basics become more obvious and then you can start delving into the more detailed aspects like the micro interactions of uh, a particular interface which is basically the subtle the subtle cues that might use animation um, or an interactive state to hint something or to explain something that's incredibly subtle but you can't get to those things unless you've got the basics right so that's that's where the fun is. Yeah. Okay. If you're at the start of your career, focus on the basics. Just uh, Yeah, I'd say if I was to do it again, because the field didn't really exist as, as an extent to now. Um, so for user interface design, I'd say you have to have a very good understanding of graphic design for one. You need to know those basics. And then past that, um, understand what's already been established and then try to recreate that. That's the, the biggest piece of advice is like, take what's there. You think it works with your, your, the designer eye and then try and recreate it and understand the decisions that the other designers have made before. So I think that's the, probably yeah, so, the best thing to do. Yeah, so just reverse engineer things that are already there. Yeah, is definitely. Correct? Yeah, exactly. So pull things up that you think the work and you might not know exactly what the detail is by reverse engineering it. You go through all of the decisions of the, those previous designers and you go, okay, this works in this way. And this this goes for things that don't work as well. So it's two sides of a coin. You see something and it's not working and you should understand why it's not working. So it's not good enough to go, that's just rubbish. It's going, that's rubbish because this particular aspect here, obviously if everything is terrible, then it becomes overwhelming, but uh, you need to understand what, why something doesn't work as much as it, why it does work. And how can people reverse engineer things? Because that can be a problem for those younger ones. Yeah, um, we'll start with something simple, such as a like a button, and then understand uh, spacing. Spacing is another thing really misunderstood. Um, understand the basics of like metric scales and things that are more complicated. Let's try and get a good example of, I don't know, um, like uh, a uh, uh, cards in a carousel and understand the details of the decisions of like, I think like animation interaction are normally the ones that are much harder. You have to break those things down. You have to experiment. It's very hard. It's completely in taking something and breaking it down and then using your own critical mindset 
So it's kind of hard to say, unless you have a little bit of guidance with um, a more senior designer that can ask you these questions and then you as the designer have to figure it out a little bit. So you can't be told what works and why unless you understand it fundamentally. Yeah, so it would be good to yeah, work with a senior designer that can yeah guide you, show you how you can do those things, but yeah, the senior designer won't tell you exactly what you have to look at. Yeah, I think this is exactly it. So it's no good doing the job for another younger designer. It's just asking critical questions. So the other designer or a more junior profile goes, well, that maybe works this way because I, or why did you do that? Okay, well, I did it because of this. And it's more asking the questions of, um, is something missing? And then in a particular aspect, and then they go looking at, oh, well, you could do it this way or this way. Which one do you think works better? Well, they critic, they find out themselves basically. So it has to be kind of like challenging their thoughts or yeah, their whole process. It's kind of like um, when you, you can fundamentally see what you already know, um, say this area is not working of a design. Um, it's not to say this doesn't work because of this. Go ask them the question first and then see if they can figure it out themselves. Because And by asking subtle questions, I think this is the best way to go about it. Instead of going, that's wrong because of, and they might not still understand it. They, they go, well, maybe that doesn't work because of this. Yeah, that's correct. That's a, I think so. And what would you say is the biggest problem for designers that are working with software developers? Uh, many. Um, it's uh, communication is probably the, the big one. It, it, it's, it's generally like blending the two worlds together. So the, I think every designer should at least... Uh, code to a degree but not completely because the mindset is different fundamentally but when a designer goes into the, the software side of things um, you understand okay how actually objects are placed within software it's not like it's painting boxes on a piece of paper and um, things have flexible values they have certain use cases like breakpoints um, they have all kinds of different requirements and you need to understand how those work and even more so, you need to understand how something is built from the ground up in software. So the repetition of components, as an example, like with front-end frameworks like React, um, you're starting to see some of these things like in Figma with um, obviously components or symbols have been around a while, but um, the repetition of design um, parallels really nicely with development. Um, I think the, the developer handover is still a bit of an issue um, because they're basically redesigning the same thing within code. So the communication of pixel perfect stuff will irritate the living daylights out of a developer because it, it doesn't make sense to them why they're wasting time on that. Uh, on the designer side, they don't understand that like how to actually get their designs to get to that pixel point, which is probably not the case. Right? If you're using flexible spacing, good luck to you. Depends on their monitor. What would you say is the like the one thing a designer should do first when they mm. start working with a developer? Um, well, every it's like every person is different. So it doesn't matter if the developer or designer. You have to understand how each person works and finding a natural synergy in communication. Um, it's 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 alignment. Um, so with any kind of brief or project, you go, okay, is, this is the objective. This is what we're trying to achieve. This is taking a step back out of delivering a feature. 
So instead of delivering a screen from a designer side or a developer to, to code a particular thing, it's going, what is the purpose of this for on the user side? And does that serve that purpose? So when it comes to developer and, and designer working that, both asking um, how they work with that. Okay, how, uh, how do you make sure that you, uh, like how do you think or how do you solve your problems that way? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of a round in circles on that one, but uh, it's finding out how people work and it's hard. You need to do a few kind of test briefs or projects with people. Yeah. I think that's a great answer because you have to try to even understand them. And as you said before, with learning how to code, even the basics, yeah, you will understand much more than before. And also the developer will, yeah, let's say, appreciate that you know what he's doing. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's both ways as well. Um, I know it's hard for developers to understand the, the kind of the design decisions that are being made. Um, for me, it's like if you explain why you are doing something and the the value of it. Um, sometimes there's stopping points where developers like I don't get it, and you're like, well, this is <laughs> this is what we're trying to achieve with this. We test and we see with the users, and we let them validate or invalidate um, if this thing works or not. And I don't know. It's each uh, each person you find out when you work with them to see uh, how they think. Like you really just have to work with a person. Getting getting a beer or coffee with someone's always ideal, but this with all this remoteness at the moment, it's a little bit harder. That makes things a little bit easier yeah. as well. Everybody has to work remotely now, <laughs> so you have to do yeah. it somehow with things. Yeah, luckily this is a field which um, leads itself to remote work, so you can be fairly autonomous, work off Slack, and then have touch-in meetings with developers. This is uh, this is normally the way. So yeah. it's not too bad. <laughs> and do you think that creativity is becoming more consolidated or that everything is becoming the same or it looks the same? Um, in design? Um, yeah, I think so. Um, there's, there's a natural trend to replicate each other within the industry. So people see what works, as I'm saying, reverse like looking, say, at a site like Dribbble or Behance, you're seeing what works and go, oh, that's cool. And then what you do is you take that, replicate that, try and learn from it. But then also you fall into the bucket of basically creating that. So I think there is definitely this consolidation of trends and specific ways of designing and doing things. So you see less creativity. There's only really one way to kind of uh, protect against that. One is you do need inspiration. So you need to find all these interesting things, say from Dribble, and then you need to kind of have a philosophy of, well, I'm not going to do exactly that. I'm going to do something different. So you take the aspects that work and then you build something new. So it's like the iterations again. So on your 10th iteration, you start creating something that's not what was previously before. But I really do suggest borrowing what works. Like it doesn't make sense just trying to do things from scratch. Um, you've got to try and pull things from places, but you have to try to make it your own. I think that's how design um, basically evolves, and that's how we get more new and interesting things, which I think is a good idea. Yeah, but you have to put that one touch of your own creativity. Do not make it yeah, a copy of some someone. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of hard uh, to kind of describe, but uh, any kind of a lot of products are very very samey, even without the interface side of things. Um, all of the patterns are super repeated, so it's it's a good and a bad thing. Um, that's why I think creating design systems, which uh, is one of the things that I have within my design course, is kind of important because it allows you to structure the basics such as buttons, colors, type styles, and it goes even further than that. So how you build more complex components like cards or uh, views and get that all out of kind of out of the way, the basics, so you can start to build more complex components um, or interesting interactions. Because uh, the basics are the basics and they just take a lot of work to even spec those things and send them to a developer. So it's good to take a design system off the shelf that has flexibility and then you can start building unique expressions and ideas such as, I don't know, uh, interesting timelines and ways of navigating data. So I think that's how we move this thing forward without being everything's a card, everything's a button, everything is looks exactly the same. Yeah, I have to agree that everything looks the same because even with all the new tools and SaaS vendors and yeah, everything that's now on the market, you can visit yeah, MailChimp and you can visit any other uh, email platform, yeah, email sending platform, and it's completely the same. Maybe the colors change or the messaging a little bit, but yeah, the layout, how it works, yeah, yeah there aren't yeah. really differences. And the thing is, like sometimes you have to go. Does the, is does this like it's the philosophy? There's a few design philosophies. I have them in my course. One of them is. Uh, does this make the most sense? And if it makes the most sense, then it is actually the correct decision. So the correct decision is like, is this the most logical, easiest way to show and convey information? Because if you go too crazy, you're so far away from something that is usable. So UI is not um, art or uh, graphic design in the sense of just something that is aesthetic. It is, it is primarily, it, its function comes first. Then how you add character um, is a smaller percentage and much harder because uh, functionally things like all these patterns are fairly similar. They're gonna, all male applications look the same. <laughs> but you can do some funky stuff in the middle. How can we find yeah, problems when, yeah, how can we find problems that we want to solve when, yeah, user research and user-centered design can be flawed? And yeah, users won't tell us the source of the problem. So basically, how do we focus on the right type of problems? Um, yeah. I think there's two things within the industry that exist. One is kind of um, like product-led design, which is, okay, we have a product and people will buy it, which is kind of the old way. We live now in the decade of user-centric, user-centered thinking, which is, what does the user want? So user stories. This is good, but um, when you're, there, there is a hole in this, as you can see, where product services companies are not really focusing on sometimes the, the more holistic problem, which is what's the larger problem to be solved, which is kind of uh, societally considered. So there's, um, there's different terms that are out there like um, uh, world-centric, uh, uh, sustainably, but I think it, there's a there's a better way of looking at it if, to borrow systems from um, system thinking, which is um, 
to try and focus a product on a particular intervention in a system. Um, I have this uh, analogy, which I think I spoke of before, which is kind of understanding where a problem is to understand like the source of a river. So going as far up the river as you possibly can to solve the real problem if you're trying to solve something that's um, impact-based. This is the thing that we're actually talking about here, not just um, for profits uh, type of ideas. The further up you go, this is the design intervention. The further you go up this river, the, the more likely that uh, you will solve some of the issues further down. Um, this is just one design intervention. So this is my analogy for product design when trying to consider impact-based products. So how to actually um, get a little bit higher in the level of the problem because people or users may not know the holistic issue that's there. So if we take media as an example, again, with like Media Sifter, um, the touch point is people reading um, in one aspect. The larger problem is uh, uh, it's incredibly noisy. Um, there's tons of information that is vying for your attention, attention in economics or propagandic forces. Um, so there's a massive disinformation uh, thing that's going on. How you solve that problem up the river is you tap into the source of information that is um, uh, producing um, uh, some of the noise or navigating that noise. So that was the kind of the design intervention of like Media Sifter to make it a little bit easier of um, um, system design thinking. And then what you design is a touch point, a user interface, and then you go through how do you make that easy for a user to consume, use, uh, all of the stuff we're focusing on now. But I like to think, let's go a little bit higher up in that river. Yeah. Like, I love this river analogy because mm -hmm. yeah, it's a great visualization of everything. Like, the user-centered design is yeah, at the end. You can ask the people, but they never been at the source. They haven't seen it. They don't know how it looks like, but they think they are aware of the problem. Yeah, when you think about more holistic uh, systemic issues, yeah. And I know that you've been a professional photographer before. And mm -hmm. how does that experience in photography relate to, yeah, to your current career as a designer? Um, so yeah, I have done a few, uh, professional, uh, photography related things. Uh, it was, a uh, early on in my design career when I was studying in graphic design, um, photography, it was incredibly interesting to me. Um, photography is, is a skill which is also useful in interface design because you're understanding the nature of how light works, I think is one of the bigger ones. Um, obviously there's compositional choices of how to choose a photograph and what has enough contrast. But I think the, the lighting aspect of photography is super interesting because this gives you an idea of how light, light and shadow basically, um, no worries, how light and shadow basically raise elements um, uh, forward and backwards. So this is in a, a UI, okay, what is further forward that I interact with versus what is further back? So compositionally photography and learning how light works is super useful. A designer should gather, yeah, gain experience throughout his life on diff in different things because every single one of them can relate somehow later to their career and it can be used, like with lights yeah, and yeah. Yeah, I'd say this is the same for like any any individual. So it doesn't matter of your career. Like you, the more you learn, um, especially things that are incredibly different from or 
even close to what your profession is. They can influence your work and your perspective. So that's why it's great having teams of people with different experience, background, cultures, experiences, because it gives a unique perspective on a problem or a way to solve it. So this experience of photography makes it a little bit easier or gives me a tool which allows me to solve problems in design in a different way. Do you have a favorite sector to work with? Within design? Um, Within design, yep. Yeah, it's kind of funny because... Um, design you think is like creating the end thing. Um, I like creating the end thing, but uh, with product design, I like solving different types of problems. So um, every kind of any sector, it doesn't matter how mundane can be interesting, but I guess out of all of them, I think gaming is probably the one that's the most interesting because gaming, like with photography talking before, has a few different psychological and economic um, tools that you can use within products. And I think game design um, is really, really useful in understanding how to design for particular behaviors and how to instigate particular behaviors. So gaming knows how to do this because it's completely focused on it. Um, the philosophy of gaming is fun. When I was working at Need for Speed, the uh, uh, Need for Speed um, Most Wanted, the, the philosophy of the whole game is, is this fun? So it's, it's, it's wonderful because if it's not fun, it's a bad idea. So... Uh, everything is kind of like geared towards that thing. And imagine if you had the same thing within um, within basic software. Is this fun? You go like, well, definitely not. Most of the time, it's more like, yeah, I understand what's happening. Uh, it, it depends on obviously the, the piece of software, but that piece of philosophy is very, very interesting. And then how do you make it fun? So that's why I really, really like gaming. You can actually apply it to everything. And there are designers out there that are using um game-related thinking within products and services because it's basically um, behavioral economics or designing for behavior. So it's psychology, which is very, very interesting. So yeah, It's learning about uh, other human beings, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So like the user-centered stuff is like, what do they want supposedly? And then um, the behavioral economics side is how do we instigate this behavior? I think marketers and advertising folks tend to use us more than designers, which is a bit sad. They're trying to go, okay, how do we gain their attention? How do we get them to buy this product when designers could be doing this thing? Okay, how do we, because you can use these tools within like ethical design, which is how, how do we create behaviors that are in the interest of the individual using the software instead of like addictive based mechanics that you might have say within like slot machines or Facebook. It's amazing how those two things, like how do we keep them clicking, uh, which isn't very ethical, but there are definitely things within the software that kind of make you do that. So, yeah. You said that you've worked on Need for Speed. One of the games. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> Nice. That's very nice. Like, that's my childhood. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a fun thing. Um, basically, in London, uh, or actually in a place called Guildford, I was working at a place called Criterion Games, which is a part of EA Games. Um, and I was thinking, what things would I like to try and experiment with, do differently? And there was a there was a job going. So, so it was very very interesting. I learned a, um, a lot of different things there. They they were actually using. Um, uh, scrum uh, uh, mythology it was the first time I was using it there as well so it's actually quite a nice way of working um, it's amazing how each company has a different way of working uh, that's another thing as you learn yeah. as you get 
older or senior, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and what's one thing that you, yeah, that you've learned there that you use now in your process at uh, EA or at EA or in the games industry overall? Um, I think that was the beginning of my mindset and understanding uh, designing for behavior. So uh, even before user-centered thinking, actually. So it's more the economics of uh, decision-making, which sounds insane, but uh, is... Because I've also had um, experience in designing a blockchain protocol. Um, and within that, you're, you're, you're basically creating a, an economy um, that has to be balanced. So you're trying to incentivize different behaviors. So EA was the beginning of that. And then I use that again when designing for um, designing for a blockchain protocol. So it is incredibly interesting how you can um, motivate people in different directions in software. It's not just the interface. Yeah. So people should get more into gaming and <laughs> learn those that stuff. Yes and no. Uh, gaming is great. Also addictive because of these very things they talk of, which is the, uh, I think it is um, World of Warcraft. They have some of the, the best psychologists working on the different mechanics, uh, psychological me mechanics of uh, not so much of addiction, but to have something for every type of human for what they find challenging or interesting. So there's me game mechanics for most humans within that game. And I'm sure in large organizations, they also have this. So it's gaming's great, but also dangerous because it's addictive. <laughs> <laughs> but is it addictive when you work on the game? Um, no, I think it's a different. I was always thing. wondering about yeah. that because yeah. you know playing games it's addictive. <laughs> it's addictive as hell. But yeah, well, one of the things that people don't really know is it sounds like it's great working at a games company, but um, I think notoriously games companies are some of the worst organizations to work with <laughs> and work for, and uh, mainly because they have insane hours and or insane because they keep changing their mind. Like, <laughs> so you go yeah. like, okay. We have to redo everything. So you have a normal deadline, but now you have to do more work within a shorter period of time. So it can be quite um, stressful, especially at the end of a game release. It's not uncommon to work during the weekends as well. So that can be intense. So I wouldn't say you're going to get very addicted to it. But um, it's there is a lot of game playing of other games. So that's probably not a normal thing in most offices. <laughs> so yeah. that's fun. <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. great. And John, what tip would you give to someone who's a junior in design? To get in or to like to improve? To improve. To improve. Um, I think I think this is um, the best thing to do. Like I'd say, like iterate, but find a mentor of some description. And I think this is true to any field now. Find someone that. You like or respect, email them, ask for a coffee, um, try and turn them into a friend. Not a, like a mentor seems like this very serious thing, but make an older friend in something. And because, um, you know, bor uh, borrowed uh, understanding is way better than anything else, I think, because it will just quantum leap you further forward if there's such things. Um, I think that's probably the best piece of advice I can give. Yeah. Like, Today, finding a mentor with everybody being remotely can be, yeah, can seem more difficult. Yeah. But, yeah, 
for example, I found my mentor on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And it's that we exchange messages. We talk about different things. And yeah, I can say that it works. So, yeah, I, I have a friend who also suggested this in a completely different field. He's uh, in more the business development thing. And he would have coffees with um, just friends of friends in his network. And uh, he figured out just from himself that it's like, okay, the ones that are doing really well or really successful in any given field uh, were the ones that had at least three mentors each which is interesting, right? So it, it just, um, if you think about it, it's like support and I think all humans need that to some extent, right? So it makes sense. To wrap things up, please tell me where can people find you and why should they take your course? <laughs> sure. Um, well, you can find my course at uh, killinteractions.com. Um, it's it's uh, still under construction, but the beta phase should arise soon. So if you sign up to an email there, that would be great. Um, also on Twitter, I can uh, give you the Twitter handle afterwards because I'm not really that uh, productive. What do you call it? I'm not there all the time, but I'm starting to produce more content. So um, you can always uh, send me a message there. So these are the two places I would say. Awesome. So thank you very much for today, John. And No worries. See Thanks a lot for having me. This podcast is brought to you by Elite Crew, the software house that helps designers shape the world. If you need help with your project or want to consult technical matters, just drop us a message at EliteCrew.io. We'll be happy to help.